It's the final days of six-year no-interest financing at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Upgrade that leaky, squeaky patio door from just $84 a month. Set your free consultation now at 855-PALA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I wish I knew the name of this person, but clearly, hands down, the worst person in Milwaukee for the week. Now, at the start of this, I understand that given all the out-of-control violence, given the the homicides, given the shootings, given the 25 cars being stolen every day from the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee, given all the other stuff that goes on, on the one hand, this might seem like a small story, but at the same time, it is, to me, evocative of so many of the, the bigger issues that are there, including that there are some really horrible, terrible people in this world. I, I mean, and, and it's it's not a question of, of race. It's not a question of income. It's, it's just a question of, well, I don't know if it's upbringing or morality or whatever, but there are just some terrible people out there. So here is the story. Um, I, I saw this on Channel 12. All right, last, okay, two days ago, the Milwaukee Fire Department is out fighting a fire on um, 5th and Beecher in Milwaukee. So there's a house that is on fire. The fire department is there with the fire truck trying to put out the fire. So they're trying to stop the fire from destroying the home. They're trying to stop the fire from spreading elsewhere. They are doing what firefighters do, put their lives on the line to try to protect the rest of us. Apparently, While the firefighters are there engaged in fighting the fire, trying to put out the active flames, somebody who we will describe as the worst person in Milwaukee comes up and steals a battery-powered drill off the fire truck. So while the firefighters are trying to put out the fire, you have somebody who views this as an opportunity to go and say, hey, there's a power drill here. And, you know, maybe I can, maybe this is one of these things. Maybe I can sell it. I don't know. Maybe I can use it myself. But nobody's watching, or at least the people that are out there are occupied. So I'm going to go steal a power drill. Now, I sent out a tweet about this. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 with a link to the story on Channel 12. You know, firefighters are trying to put out a fire. Some creep steals tools off their truck. And again, I understand it's it's in some respects, it's small potatoes because it's not a shooting. It's not a carjacking. It's it's not a car theft. But this city of Milwaukee, I swear, is becoming more and more like the movie Escape from New York every day, where you've got firefighters that are there. Now, it's apparently, luckily, the the power tool that got stolen, they didn't need it on the particular scene there. But, but it's entirely possible they could have, or they might have needed it on their next thing. But what type of person 
goes up and sees, hey, the firefighters are trying to put out a fire. So what? here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and see what sort of stuff I can steal from the fire truck while everybody else is occupied. And, and here's, I mean, here's the bigger story about this. If you wonder why communities become unlivable, it is because you have bad people who populate them. And whoever did this is an awful human being. You know, period, an awful human being that you would end up seeing, okay, this is what I'm going to do, that this is your reaction, not, hey, I'm going to stand clear, not, hey, I'm going to see if there's anything I can do to help, but here, nobody's looking, let me grab this power tool and steal it. It's just, and again, this is not a product of of education or poverty or anything else. It is the fact that in some urban areas, you have an increasingly large number of horrible human beings and whoever did this and they don't know who it is and the power tool hasn't been responded my, my guess is they'll never catch the person that did it but there is somebody walking around on the mean streets of milwaukee who's decided hey this is the opportunity something is burning down i'm going to steal something off this fire truck and i'm going to get away with it and those are the type of people the more and more people like that that you find in a city the more and more unlivable that city becomes. Now, I've I've said this before. I I, I happen to I happen to believe that there is a heaven, and you know where. And I I do think it's where else. And I, I do think that there is a moment where you do have to be accountable. Now, I don't know if there's really a Saint Peter and Pearly Gates, but you know, and part of me says, you know. It would be interesting that that when we depart this mortal coil, if you find that you are standing outside the pearly gates and there's there's St. Peter with the book and he's looking through the book and he's looking at all the good stuff that you did in your life and he's looking at the bad stuff you did. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the guy that on June 29th, 2021, oh, you're the guy that ripped off the power tool from the fire truck while the firefighters were actively fighting the fire. I don't want to have to explain that to St. Peter. Interestingly, if they catch the guy, it's a felony. It's a federal crime to do something like that while the firefighters are in the process of doing it. But I, I'm not sure they're ever going to catch him. But these are the type of people that are populating the city. And, and you wonder why cars get stolen, you know, 25 a day. You wonder why people's homes are broken into. It's because you have some people in the city of Milwaukee and in other urban areas as well who just don't care about anything. They are immoral. They have no regard for anybody else's rights. And there is nothing that they will not stoop to doing. And I don't know how you weed those people out. I don't know how you catch them and remove them from society and put them, you know, segregate them from, you know, the rest of the decent people that are out there. But as long as you got people that are wandering around and will steal power tools off of fire trucks while they're in the middle of fighting a fire, it tells you there's not much hope for at least some communities. All right, when we come back, I do not understand why this guy is still alive. I'll explain. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, I work for you. Utility-
utility company, and multiple times a year, my contractors have people stop their cars in the middle of the street. Someone jumps out, grabs a tool, jumps back in their cars. It is absolutely unbelievable. Well, it's, I guess, it's just what goes on on a regular basis nowadays. Uh, But I'm telling you, what... I don't even know what to say about this type of stuff. You just have you just have some lousy human beings that are out there. And I'm sorry, stealing tools off a fire truck while the firefighters are occupied fighting a fire, that that's you do that, you qualify as a horrible human being. Period. Okay, I do not understand why the guy is still alive. Here is my story. Driving to work today and I'm on a I'm on I'm on a side street. I come to a four-way stop. I am heading westbound. All right. And there's there's like it's one of those things where there's like one and a half lanes. So I am I am heading westbound at a four way stop. There is a car behind me who's going to be I'm going to be going straight. There's a car behind me who's going to be making a right turn. So they're kind of pulled over towards the curb, but they're behind me. There's maybe, my guess is, maybe a foot or two between the two cars because I'm going to come to the stop sign first, and then that person's going to pull up and make the right turn. All right. So I'm stopped at the four-way stop. Out of the corner of my eye, I see this young man on a bicycle. The young man on the bicycle is to my to my right, he is in the north. He's in the southbound lane, driving north. So he's going the wrong way on the street. He's in he's in the wrong lane. He's on the wrong side of the street. So he's going the wrong way. Now he's coming up to the stop sign. I see this guy out of the corner of my eye, and he is moving like a bat out of you know where. So I'm kind of I'm watching this. I'm kind of watching the other cars. Now, normally, if he wants to make a left turn, what you would be doing is you would be heading north in the northbound lane, and then you would come to the stop, and then you'd make that left turn, and you'd go, he wants to go west, so you'd go into the westbound lane. That's not what this guy does. I'm watching this this young man, and he's, he's coming really fast. So he's going the wrong way into into traffic. He's coming up to the stop sign. And again, he's in the, he's heading north in the southbound lane. So he's, he's right kind of by my car. He, at a, without slowing down at all, goes around my car on the curbside and then goes between me and the car that is behind me. And like I say, there couldn't have been more than like two feet of, of leeway. I don't know how the guy got through without either hitting my car or getting hit by the car that was waiting behind me. And then the guy cuts across a lane of traffic to get to where he's going about westbound. And in doing that, he pulls in front of a car as well. And I'm watching this all without slowing down. And I'm sitting there thinking that this guy should be dead. There, There is no way you should have been able to drive your bicycle in this irresponsible fashion and not end up dead. <laughs> it's just, it, it's just, just a miracle because it, it's a miracle he didn't smash into my car. It's a miracle that the car behind me, that's only given like a foot or two of leeway, it's a miracle that if if they had just pulled up a little bit, you know, like you're, which would have been perfectly normal, you know, you're you're 
right you're waiting for the person in front of you to move so you inch up a little bit if that person would have done it they would have smashed this bicyclist they would have hit him and you know, essentially pinned him up against my car or over their car the bicyclist when he gets through this narrow opening pulls in front of another car who's going westbound and just rides off without any sort of regard at all for anybody else but in particular their life cuz they're on on a bicycle all right look i know that if you ride a bicycle around here, I have no doubt that you have horror stories about the way, you know, cars interact with you and how motorists don't pay attention to cars and things like that. But I will tell you what I saw today is not necessarily atypical. And just like we talk a lot on this program about really, really crummy driving I, by cars, and there, believe me, there's a lot of that out there, I am always struck by the number of flat-out irresponsible Bike riders there are who I, I guess either have no regard for their life, no sense of fear at all, um, and, and just flat out don't care because this guy today should have been dead. <laughs> I just I, I've, been, I've been thinking about this all morning because how on three or four different instances in the space of about 10 seconds, it's a miracle. It really is a miracle that the guy wasn't run into or didn't smash into something. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I, I ride a bike. I'm a big proponent of I got an e-bike and things like that. But I will tell you. You know, watching the way some of these bicyclists operate, it is amazing to me that you do not have more bike-car collisions. And as I have said before, the next bicycle rider that I see stop at a stop sign or a red light will be probably the first bicycle bicyclist that I have seen stop at a stop sign or a red light. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, Jim in West Bend. Jim, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, just uh, uh, a comment on um, riding bicycles. You know, I've been doing it for a long time, and and what it is is, if you drive against the traffic, it helps you see because everyone's texting, everyone's on their phone. At least you have a chance. Wait, 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 get... wait a second. You're, 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 you've called up to defend driving the wrong way on on roads on a bicycle, and your argument is it, it by driving the wrong way, heading straight into cars that are coming for you, it's safer. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, all I'm saying is you have a better chance if you're watching what other people are doing on their phones and on their whatever they're doing. I mean, putting their makeup on, whatever it is. Well, well, Jim, that's not, Uh, I'm sorry, Jim, that's, 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 what, what, what is the word I'm struggling for? Dumb. (laughs) <laughs> Dumb. All right. That, that, that's not what this kid was doing. This kid was driving the wrong way in traffic because he wanted he did not want to stop at the stop sign. What he wanted to do was he was driving the wrong way. And what he wanted to do was kind of cut that stop sign. He didn't want to have to stop and make a typical left turn. He just wanted to swerve and, and keep going. And I, I mean, I, I hope we're not at a point where 
bicyclists think that they are entitled or that it is a good policy to drive the wrong way into traffic. And because, you know, if, if you get involved in a head on collision with a car, you're, you're going to lose that. And look, and I, I, I understand there's all sorts of bad stories that are out there that bicyclists can tell about all oh, this person was, you know, eating French fries and they weren't paying attention or putting on their makeup or talking on their cell phone. I get that there's a lot of that that goes on. But if, if you're if you're on a bicycle and you're going to be driving the wrong way into traffic or blowing through red lights and blowing through stop signs and you tangle with those vehicles, you're going to lose. I mean, you're, you're going to lose. So I, I would hope that that's not a justification for saying, hey, I'm going to just go the wrong way into traffic and I'm going to blow through stop signs because, well, you know, I some if if I blow through the stop sign, I've got a better chance of seeing it if somebody else does. Harry in Mequon. Harry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Harry. Comment on the uh, cyclist. You just brought up a really valid point. You know, somebody blowing through red lights, somebody blowing through stop signs. I'm referencing the Ozaki Interurban Trail up here. It's a big bicycle trail. Sure. Uh, last week and the week before, I saw a cyclist zip through the two little stop signs that are on either side of the, the main thoroughfare, zip through the car two cars in front of me slammed on their brakes. The car in front of me slammed on his brakes. He went into the rear end of the car up there. Fortunately, I was able to, you know, slam on the brakes and not hit anybody. But where do we hold the cyclists responsible for the accidents? Well, you know, for not being paying attention. You know, the other guy mentioned that everybody's uh, on their cell phones or texting. Well, you know, if uh, you know, even going wrong way, if a car hits a cyclist, the car is going to be, or the driver is going to be cited for inattentive, unattentive I, driving. I, well, you know, and it's in it, Wisconsin, the the driver of the car is at fault for hitting a pedestrian or non-motorized vehicle. Well, you know, Harry, you raise an interesting point because that that's, I mean, as I playing back this incident in my mind, like I say, I when the guy. Driving the wrong way, going northbound in the southbound lane, and then comes up to the stop sign and makes a, a sudden turn. And he was moving fast. And, and he goes th- that, that foot to two feet that's between the car behind me and me. I, I would just, I, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know how he got through those two cars. And I could easily see, like I say, that the car behind me, it would just be natural. They're, they're just kind of pulling up because I'm, it's my turn at the stop sign. They figure that my car is going to go, I'm going to go straight, and they're just ready to take their turn. It, it was just, and it all happened in a matter of seconds. And, and you know, you're right. This, this would not have been inattentive driving. This would have just been incredible recklessness. And you see this all the time. And look, and I, I freely acknowledge, you know, there's there's bad drivers that are out there. Anybody that's on the road can tell you this. But if you're on a bicycle, I mean, you are incredibly, incredibly vulnerable. So maybe the lesson is you, you don't want to be driving the wrong way at a high rate of speed. And if the justification is going to be, well, you can see things coming at you. Well, OK, that, that the idea is you don't want to be going head in head on into someone. And, and candidly, I don't know how the cars would react if I'm driving down the street and I see a bicycle coming straight at me, going the wrong way that that person needs to be pulled off the road they need to be given a citation before they kill themselves or somebody else welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj 
threat of inflation increases daily. How will it affect you and your family? Did you miss the webinar with WTMJ's Steve Scafidi and Annex Wealth Management's Dave Spano? Well, it's not too late. You can check it out and ask more questions by texting Annex to 855-616-1620. That's Annex to 855-616-1620. Okay, so yesterday afternoon, only had about a 30-minute show because of the Brewers game. What 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 an interesting game! I I just so I, I got home. I had an appointment at two o'clock, so I I went home, let the dog out, and grabbed something quick to eat before the appointment at two o'clock. And so I I watched the first inning, watched it on television, and the Cubs score seven runs in the first inning, and I'm thinking. Oh, this is going to be one of those kind of games. And from a selfish perspective, it's like, gosh, I, I could just, I can hear all the radios clicking off because people, you know, you, you, you know, if, especially if your team's getting blown out, there is a tendency to kind of want to bail. Well, if you bailed yesterday, you missed something great. So anyhow, it's seven to nothing after the first inning. I, I get in the car. I'm listening. I get to where my appointment was. And this is probably about 20 to two. It's a two o'clock appointment. So I, I get out of the car and then I go. I had a half hour thing. So about an hour later, I get back in the car and I turn on WTMJ and I they're they're only in the third inning and I I hear um Jeff Levering I believe you know and, he, and he's talking about well this is the second or third time the pitcher's been up and it's like the Brewers pitcher I'm going what happened and then all of a sudden they say the score is 7 to 6 you know and and the the Cubs starter Jake Arietta he's out of the game and I think what the heck happened so you know then I get home and and you see that the Brewers have just an incredible comeback. They're down seven to nothing. They come back and score the next 15 runs. 15 runs. That's a touchdown, an extra point, another touchdown, and a two-point conversion. And, of, of course, you know, schadenfreude, the, the whole idea of taking pleasure in other people's misery is not a good trait to have, but it is the Cubs. So it's just kind of like, man, I saw on Monday night, I was at the ball game where the Brewers score. It was probably about 60-40 Cubs fans. And, of course, that's the one where the Brewers score 10 runs in the eighth inning. And, you you know, I, again, I, I don't like to take pleasure in the misery of other people. But watching those Cubs fans sulk out dejectedly from the ballpark, well, that in and of itself was worth the, the price of admission. So if that's what happened on Wednesday, on Monday night when you had that 10-run eighth inning, I can only imagine what it was like yesterday to be at American Family Field when the Cubs blow a seven run lead and come on back um you know what wow you know what 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 can you do now i i will i do have one minor comment on this and i want to be careful about this the brewers are are on an incredible roll great team fun to go to the baseball games and i don't want to be the guy like uh, coming home monday night after after the game brewers extra innings comes on and now this this is it's one of the best games I've ever been to. You know, it was a close game, four to four, and then the Brewers scored ten runs in the eighth inning. I mean, just it, it was just an incredible thing. So the first caller that comes on the air, um, first comment is that Devin Williams, who pitched the eighth inning, he he looks like he's a little bit nervous. You know, what's the problem? And I'm thinking you've just you've just listened to one of the greatest games in Brewers history, ten runs against the Cubs, and the first caller out of the box wants to complain about the the guy that pitched the top of the eighth inning who got out of a bases loaded jam. I'm thinking, oh, you're kind of missing the point, buddy. So I don't mean to be that guy because they've been great games and the Brewers are on a roll. But but this is. It's a bigger issue that I think baseball has to deal with. Monday night's game, game started at 710. Monday night's game took three hours and 47 minutes. 
three hours and 47 minutes. And unfortunately, there were a lot of people in the stands that didn't see that great eighth inning because they, they had to leave. I mean, kids... You know, if it's if it's nine thirty, the game starts at seven ten, and it, it's the fourth inning, and it's nine thirty. You know, kids, their attention span is why is wandering. They're getting tired or whatever. It was unfortunate because you know three hours and forty seven minutes. Okay, on Tuesday, a two to one game that the Brewers won. Great game, well pitched, close, great baseball game. That took three hours and forty minutes. Almost four hours. And yesterday's game, again, you know, 15 to 7, took three hours and 45 minutes. Three hours and 45 minutes. And I, I they were all great games. And I don't mean that guy to be the guy, you know, saying, oh, I, I want to, the, the reliever was, was struggling in the top of the eighth inning when you miss the, again, you, you fail to see the forest for the trees. But it, it is an issue. These games, they take too long for most people. Now, look, I'm, I'm a grown up. I don't have to work the next day till noon. So if I get home on a Monday night after dropping my buddy off, if I get home at midnight, it's not the end of the world. I can just sleep a little bit later. But for people who have to go to work, you know, in the morning or for people who bring kids, you got to figure out a way to move these games along quicker. And again, you might say, okay, well, yesterday was, you know, 15 to seven, lots of runs scored. That's going to take a lot of time. But the day before that was a two to one game. And that still took almost four hours. I don't know exactly what the answer is, but you got to figure out a way to move this game along or particularly with younger Younger people whose attention spans are even more limited than mine, you're going to have a lot of people that are just going to decide, you know, we can't go to the games because they're just, I mean, for almost four hours, that's longer than most football games take, for goodness sakes, or at least most professional football games. So that's great brewer season. They're doing a great job. It's fun. It's exciting. It is a small complaint, but I think it's a legitimate one. These games just take forever. All right, when we come back, Tony Evers gives one particular group a giant, sloppy, wet kiss. Why them and not everyone else? We'll discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Why them? That's my question, is, is why then? The, them? The, the breaking news story today is that Tony Evers has signed a what is described as a major deal with the Oneida Nation that will allow sports betting and other event wagering at the tribes, casinos and affiliate locations. The amendment, see, the, the tribes and this started under Jim Doyle years and years ago, cut these deals. They're called compacts. Those are the contracts that the state enters into with the, the tribes that give them the right to offer gaming. In Wisconsin, tribes essentially have been given a monopoly on casino gaming. Um, so this amendment to the compact will be the first um, to allow event wagering, like sports betting, to occur in Wisconsin. Event wagering can include betting on sports and events betting on wagering like nationally televised award shows, professional sports leagues drafts, and professional sporting events like the National Football League, the National 
Basketball Association, Major League Baseball. Um, there are limits you can't bet on Wisconsin collegiate teams or high school teams. Wisconsin teams, that would be. Um, the events, the betting, would allow event wagering at the Oneida Casino, and the deal would allow for remote event wagering on land owned by the tribe or held in trust by the tribe, by the federal government. Um, so... But so the idea would be if you're sitting at your home in Milwaukee, for example, you couldn't download an app and bet, mo- use your phone to bet at the Oneida Casino. You have to physically, for all intents and purposes, be there. Now, let me be real clear about what I'm going to say here. I, as somebody who has been known to place a bet here or there, and when I go to Las Vegas, um, a lot of times during the day, I, I sit in their sports and race book and I bet horse racing and I'll, I have been known to put wagers on, you know, various games. That's candidly, I find that to be more interesting than, you know, playing blackjack for hours or playing a slot machine. So I, I'm, I'm not against, I'm not against commercial gambling. I'm not against sports betting. Not at all. But my question and my issue with this is, Why are we giving, again, in this case, it's the Oneida Nation, nothing against them, but why are we giving them the right to operate sports betting, to conduct sports betting, when we are not giving any other entity in the state the right to do it? Or we're not allowing people to do it electronically. We're not allowing people to, I I don't know, um, uh, we're not allowing people off of the reservations to open up sports betting parlors. We're not allowing people to do it electronically over the Internet. We're rather saying we're going to carve out this form of commercial gambling and we're going to give it to the Native Americans. Now, my guess is, and it's just a guess, you know, my guess is that now that we've opened the door with this, when it comes to giving the Oneida uh, tribe the, the right to do this, my guess is the other tribes that operate casinos in the state are you know, going to be going to Governor Evers as well and saying, okay, we've done this with Unita. You know, we, we want to do this as well. And again, I'm not anti-sports betting. I, I, I'm not. It's the wave of the future. And given the fact that it's now legal in many of our surrounding states and people are regularly driving down to Illinois to do it, I, I, I to me, it, it makes sense. But my question is, if we're going to do this, doesn't it make sense, more sense, wouldn't it have made more sense to do this, quote unquote, the right way, which would be to legalize sports betting in the state and then then regulate it and allow, I don't know, uh, allow different operators to come forward. And, and yeah, I understand if you've got the casino structure and you've already got the race book, betting on horse racing and stuff that's established, I understand that. You know, it's probably easier just do that. I also understand that sports betting has not been the huge revenue generator that a lot of states thought. But but if you're going to do it, shouldn't we be doing it across the board instead of, again, in this case, picking out winners and losers? In this case, the winners would be the, the, the Native American casinos and the losers would be everybody else. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If we were going to do, do this, fine. But wouldn't the right way to have done it would have been, look, we're, we're, we're not going to do an end around here. We're just going to say, let's legalize sports betting and then, you know, let's... Let's let the free market operate. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 
And this is Jeff Wagner. Uh, here's a text. Jeff, I don't want to sound cynical about state politics and betting, but I'm going to nonetheless. There's always a monetary or political reason for every decision. It's never about equity, but choosing those who will benefit. You'll probably never know the real reason um, why other venues were left out. Well, I mean, here, here's part of the thing. A couple of people are speculating maybe under that the, the t- truly terrible deal that Jim Doyle cut with these original compacts years ago, maybe you, you, you had to only legalize that maybe you could not allow off-reservation gaming for sports betting. I don't believe that's the case. You... You would have what you would have to do, though, is you would have to change the state constitution. Um, You'd have to have a constitutional amendment because right now that type of gaming would be prohibited. So you'd have to have that change approved by the Assembly and Senate in two consecutive sessions. And then you'd have to have a a referendum. But but nonetheless, I, I don't know if there's enough money in this to make it worthwhile, because, like I say, the states that have already authorized sports betting and thought it was going to be a huge windfall. Um, you know, not not really. I mean, it just it hasn't worked out that way. Um, Mississippi and Pennsylvania have brought in half of what they expected when they opened up, you know, sports betting. Um, Rhode Island, West Virginia have brought in even less. I don't know how it's playing out for Indiana and Illinois and Iowa, which have also legalized sports betting. So it, as, as far as a revenue stream, sports betting is a small niche of the overall you know, gaming industry that's out there. There's much more money to be made in um, slot machines, quite frankly. I mean, that's where the, the big money is made in casino gaming. So it, it might not necessarily be the, this huge revenue generator. And I understand there's people who have objections to gaming to begin with. But and, and I have no problem with the casinos, again, the, the Native Americans casinos. I, I have no problem with them offering that as a service. Matter of fact, it, it makes sense. I'm the guy who's been arguing all along that, you know, we, we should if you if you want to bet on horse racing and there's all these different channels and places that let you do it, it, it should be legal to do that in Wisconsin. I mean, I, I think the genie is out of the bottle. It's just frustrating to me that we keep expanding these different things and, and doing stuff that arguably makes sense, but doing it only to benefit this group or that group or, or the other group when maybe we should be taking a look at the, the big picture, which is to say if the gambling genie is out of the bottle, well, maybe what we need to do is start exploring the idea that let, let's open it up to the free market. And if there's entrepreneurs out there that think that they can make money doing this and they're willing to pay the regulatory fees and pay the taxes and all that stuff, why not give them a chance to do that as well? When we come back, it's a controversial decision. It might have been the right decision legally, but how does it sit with you? I'm talking about Bill Cosby. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. number of people taking issue I, with, with my comments that I think baseball needs to speed up games. And Jeff, we're, we're, the argument is, Jeff, we're purists. Baseball is the one game that doesn't have a clock. That's the beauty of it. And, and I, I get it. But I, all three games against the Cubs this week, including the two to one game um, on the, the two to one game on uh, Tuesday, all of them ran more than three hours and forty minutes. That, that's all okay. So they're they're closer to four hours than to three hours. And, and my only point is, 
that's a tough watch if you're trying to attract people in the stands or even watching at home. I mean, I, I appreciate the beauty of baseball playing out in its only in its time thing, but but nowadays lots of people don't have that much time, especially on on a weeknight. The game starts at seven o'clock in the evening. You know, if if you got to work the next day, I mean, it's one thing if you're retired or you're like me and you don't have to be at work till noon. Well, then okay, you can sleep in a little bit. You just adjust it. But if if you're somebody that has to be up at eight o'clock in the morning. Well, it, it's it's kind of tough when you're looking there and the game starts at seven and you're not out you're not out till almost eleven and then you get out of the parking lot and takes you thirty minutes then you drive home that that's a tough ask for people I, I'm just saying and if you've got small children and that's the future of the game you want kids to get incited and get involved in there and it just it always kind of it breaks my heart. It's an overstatement, but it's kind of frustrating. You go to these games, and you're sitting there, and it, it's the fourth inning, and you see all these parents that are, you know, streaming to the exits with their kids, and because it's nine thirty at night on a on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, so. I, I appreciate that this issue, and I guess I've always thought that there's things that baseball could do to speed things along with without changing the character of the game. For example, I would cut down the time between innings. I, I'd knock at least a minute off of, of the time between innings. It's, it's I, I understand that might have some impact on selling commercials, but but it, it's just it's too long. You know the third out is made and then it seems like it's 60 or 90 seconds before the other team even goes out on the field then they throw the ball around you could speed that up i would start weeknight games earlier i wouldn't start them at 710 i'd start them like they do in the spring i'd start them at 640 that doesn't shorten the game but it gets you out a half hour earlier when you bring in a relief pitcher i i wouldn't give them seven or eight warm-up pitches whatever they give them from the mound they're supposed to warm up in the bullpen i'd give them two or three but that that's that's just me i think there's all sorts of stuff we can do okay big news yesterday that this happened right as i was getting off the air the pennsylvania supreme court vacated bill cosby's conviction for sexual assault and ordered him freed on top of that they ordered that he would not be allowed to be retried our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you feel about this? Did Bill Cosby, who did, by the way, he's 83 years old, he did two years in jail, prison, while he was you know, waiting for this appeal to be decided. So he served two years. What was justice served, how do you feel about this? Did Bill Cosby beat the system? Should he be back in prison or does this seem like it's about the right result? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you haven't been tracking the case or the decision, let, let me kind of give you the Reader's Digest version on what happened. About 15 years ago, the woman who brought the charges, who, who brought the claim, had gone to the district attorney's office and said, Bill Cosby drugged me and, and sexually assaulted me. All right? The district attorney, this was very, very public. There was a lawsuit about it. Um, her, her claims were there. They were very public. Uh, the district attorney at the time, and district attorneys changed. They're, they're elected positions. The district attorney at the time said, reviewed all the evidence and said he did not believe that he had a basis to bring charges against Bill Cosby. 
said, I, I don't think there's enough evidence to get a conviction. And he made those announcements publicly, and he did what was called decline prosecution. In other words, say, I'm not going to prosecute Bill Cosby. I have communicated that to uh, Cosby and his defense team. All right, what happens then is the lady has a lawsuit, civil lawsuit she wants to So normally, if there's a pending criminal charge against you, Okay, if, if, if I'm, if I'm representing somebody and there's a pending criminal charge against them, I say, and there's a civil suit as well, I say, look, you know, you, you, you gotta take the fifth. You know, you, you should not testify. You should not say stuff under oath in the civil lawsuit until we resolve the criminal lawsuit. Cause anything you say, could be used against you just because you say it in the civil court that the prosecutors could turn around and use that against you in the criminal prosecution. Well, in this case, the, the DA it said there's not going to be a criminal prosecution, and it said that very publicly. Based on that representation, Cosby goes and he sits for the civil deposition and he answers questions. And in the course of answering questions, you know, he acknowledges that he had had sex with women, I think, and that he had, um, you know, he had given them quaaludes or something like that. But but he denies that anything happened that was non-consensual. So anyhow, he says that in the civil case. Well, fast forward 10, 12 years later, you know, it's a different era. You're a different prosecutor who says, you know what? I want to revisit the decision that they made 12 years ago. And I have now decided that I think there's enough evidence to charge him. And on top of that, at the trial, I am going to use all the statements, the testimony that he gave, you know, during the civil case. I'm going to take that. And this is the civil case after he'd been told that he wasn't going to be prosecuted. I'm going to use all those statements against him to secure a conviction. Right. And so that was the. That was the basis of the appeal. They were saying, look, it wasn't fair to Cosby. He'd essentially been told that he was not going to be charged. So that's why he waived his Fifth Amendment rights. Well, okay, now you, you can't go back and, and charge him and use that evidence against him. So that's what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, not fair to charge him. What's interesting about this is normally when a conviction is reversed because you say the prosecution couldn't use a piece of evidence, you know, that they, they shouldn't have been int- able to introduce the gun. Well, what happens normally is if the case gets reversed, the prosecution gets to decide, do we retry him without without that, that evidence? Okay, do you, do you try the person for murder, but now you can't use the gun? And it's a practical matter. A lot of times that means that, that they're not going to do it. But in this case, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, because of all the stuff that's going on here, we're not going to allow you to retry the case. So it's not like you can bring him back to trial and, and just try it but not use his statements. You're, you're just not allowed to. The case is over. He is free. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. How do you feel about this? Was justice served? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. Stick around. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. A legacy in Madison comes to an end. Wisconsin Badgers Athletic Director Barry Alvarez is retiring. Please join Greg Matzik and the team at ESPN Wisconsin for a special program, Barry Week, Monday, July 5th at noon. Hear from Paul Christ, Greg Gard, and the man himself, Barry Alvarez. It's a WTMJ special, Barry Week, Monday, July 5th at noon, sponsored by the Wisconsin Alumni Association and Iron Jock. 
Okay. A um, number of people are saying, well, Jeff, can other women come forward and take him back to court? Okay, we're not talking criminally. Here, here's here, here's the problem. The, the statute, there is a statute of limitations for these allegations. And I think for many of the the women who have subsequently come forward that the statute of limitations ha- has expired um and I, i'm not positive off the top of my head as to whether that's everybody but it would be it would be extremely difficult plus all, all these cases are going to be older cases and it's very very tough to recreate the the evidence and on top of that Again, the, the thing that they were able to use, one of the things that really cemented the conviction was the fact that they were able to use the testimony that he gave in this, this civil case against him. Absent that, absent that testimony, even if you had something else that was under the, that was, you know, within the statute of limitations, and I'm not sure there would be anything, you, you'd still have the, the same, underlying problems that you had initially as to why cases weren't brought. So I'm not saying as a matter of law it's impossible, but I think it's unlikely based on the timing. 855-616-1620. But but let's, let's talk about the bigger picture here. Bill Cosby, to me, what was – I mean, look, I, I grew up when Bill Cosby was an icon. I mean, I remember – when he was on I Spy with Robert Culp, I mean the first TV show, and they Robert Culp played a tennis. They were they were they were like they were spies, but their their cover was Culp was a tennis agent and Bill Cosby was like his assistant. Then I can remember, you know, the, the comedy records that Bill Cosby came out with, and I I mean I can remember actually the vinyl records, the thirty three and a third records. I can remember buying those records and listening to Bill Cosby do some of his routines. Thought it was hysterical. I remember, you know, the 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 whole Fat Albert stuff and all the different cartoons. I mean, Bill Cosby was the king of Saturday morning TV. And then, of course, in the 80s, you, you had the Cosby show where he was he was viewed as America's dad. And here was this guy who was, you know, setting him. He played a doctor and he was setting he was he was viewed as, you know, a, a national a national role model. But particularly the portrayal here, you had a, a black and African-American you know role model that was there. So, I mean, he's he's fallen very, very hard. I don't think in my mind that there's any question that that Bill Cosby did what all these various women allege that he did. And I, I think perhaps it is unfortunate that for whatever reasons they, they did not come forward in a timely fashion or prosecutors for whatever reason decided not to act in in a timely fashion. Um, so I, I think, you know, and maybe it was because he's he was wealthy, he was well-known, he was powerful. So I, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, this that, that you didn't have, you know, if he really did, you know, you know, dope, drug, and, and then sexually assault some woman 15, 20, 30 years ago, it's unfortunate that they didn't come forward. And I'm not, I, under, I understand, you know, why it would have been a difficult decision and things like that. I'm not faulting the victims. But at the same time, he's 83 years old now. The statute of limitations has expired on most of this stuff. I believe the Pennsylvania Supreme Court decision was right as a matter of law. And the truth of the matter is Bill Cosby spent two years in prison. And I I don't think anybody is ever going to look at Bill Cosby the same way again. I think his reputation, this isn't a vindication. This isn't saying, hey, he's not guilty. This is just, you know, we don't think he got a fair trial. I mean, I, I think... 
I think Bill Cosby's legacy is forever ruined. He spent a couple years in jail, and I guess I'm not going to lose too much sleep if at the age of 83 he's out now as opposed to getting paroled a year or two from now, assuming he lives that long. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, Bill Cosby is a creep. He is a serial rapist. 60-plus women all said the same thing. He belongs in jail until death and shouldn't be allowed to buy his way out of jail. Not 10 years ago, not today. 10 years ago, he bought his way out. Now they let him do it again. Disgusting, just like him. I think that might be an oversimplification of, of the matter. The point is that... The prosecution in this in the particular case took a risk when they decided that they were going to use what was key pieces of evidence, and that is his testimony at the civil trial years ago. That the, the prosecution took a huge risk in this case, that they they knew at the time, I think, that there's a potential that this could have gotten the case tossed out, and they obviously felt they had to do it because otherwise they wouldn't have gotten a conviction. So, is he a creep? Well, yeah, I guess that that I'm not going to argue that, Jeff. He is now a feeble old man. He's going blind. He's 83 years old. He is no longer a threat to women. I believe that he served enough time. Jeff, I think it was fair. The civil prosecutor told him, the original prosecutor told him he wouldn't be charged. The other prosecutor then went back on that. It was widely known. I don't know that it was ever in writing, but that is what happened. Jeff, Cosby did not beat the system. The system was already in place. At least he served from time. How many crimes go without anybody serving time? Is the court system um, ingrained for, is a court system ready for a national overhaul? Jeff, fair and equal justice under the law is a myth. There is justice only in regards to how much money you have for good attorneys. If Cosby was a regular Joe, he would have been locked up for life. Well, let me let me stop for a second there. If Cosby, I, I if Cosby was a regular guy, I don't believe that the most recent prosecution would have taken place. I think that this was a situation where the prosecutor decided they wanted to make an example of Bill Cosby because he was Bill Cosby. Now, I don't know about the underlying case, that that is, if he wasn't Bill Cosby 10 or 15 years ago, would the prosecutor back then have been more aggressive? That's a tougher question, and the answer might be, yeah, if he hadn't been Bill Cosby back then, you know, maybe maybe they would have initiated the prosecution. Jeff Cosby is guilty in my mind. Unfortunately, he was rightfully released because of the clear lack of proper process by the Pennsylvania criminal justice system. That said, I abhor who Cosby really has been exposed to be in recent years, in particular in light of for how many years he was presenting himself as a principled moral role model for um, young black men. I no longer watch or listen to any of his works and urge others to refrain from doing so because I believe he is truly a sexual predator. Um, You know, that's that's the legacy of Bill Cosby now. There's no question about it. And I think it's it. There's another underlying point that's there, and that is that the the public image that is created and the real person 
oftentimes they're completely and totally different. I mean, think back on, on Tiger Woods. Think think back before all the stuff came out about Tiger Woods. His image was, okay, this is this devoted family man, etc. And then we realized that Tiger Woods had, had feet of clay. Well, the same thing is true with Bill Cosby. This is America's dad, and it turns out that, you know, America's dad is engaging in behavior that hopefully most American dads would not consider to be acceptable. So I guess the, the lesson for all of us is, there's this image, this public persona, this public image that, that people have. And sometimes the person, the person is exactly that. But oftentimes they're, they're not. So, uh, in the case of Bill Cosby, I, I don't know that it would be gained by trying to, to retry him, even though the Pennsylvania court says you can't. He served some time. Um, he's, he's going to be out, but his, his legacy, it's forever tarnished, and I don't think you're going to be seeing reruns of the Cosby Show or the Fat Albert cartoons anytime soon. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Okay, I have um, some breaking news. This is being reported by my friend and former colleague on today's TMJ4, formerly of today's TMJ4, now of CB of, of Spectrum News. Spectrum News, Courtney Garish. Remember Courtney, Courtney Garish? Just delightful. We She was uh, an anchor uh, at WTMJ. Now she's at Spectrum News Channel. In any event, this is what she is reporting. Um, Alfonso Morales, former Milwaukee police chief, will not be back on the job Saturday. Um, apparently, according to Courtney, uh, the, the attorney for former Chief Morales is saying that he has agreed to delay his return date from July 3rd to July 12th in order to continue settlement negotiations and discussions with the city. L- let me offer you some thoughts on, on this. Uh, and this is, as somebody who is an outsider, and, and looks at go, what is going on in in the city that I grew up in. That this this is an absolute and total mess, and and it's a mess that's brought on by a lack of political leadership, and a, a just the appointment of goofballs to positions that are important, and at a time where the city is desperately crying out for direction and leadership, you are spinning your wheels. Now, we all know the crime things. We, we know that the number of homicides is, is through the roof on pace, I believe, to set another all-time record after setting an all-time record last year. And it's not just the homicides, it's the shootings, the 25 cars that are stolen from the streets of Milwaukee on a, on a daily basis. There, there is, there is just a need for leadership to come forward and address these sorts of issues. Now, it's no secret. I am a huge fan of Al Morales. I, I, I am. I think he was one of the best Milwaukee police chiefs in the last 30 years. He knew the streets, came up through the community, and I, I don't think he suffered fools well, which is what kind of it's the type of leadership that I think the city needed, but it also put him at odds with some of the fools who are in positions of power in the city of Milwaukee. Morales wanted to do things like reinstitute the gang squad because he recognized that the vast majority of crime is committed by a relatively small number of people. And, and what you have to do 
is you have to, and, and the cops know who these people are. And, and what you need to do is you need to be aggressive in, in going after them. Well, that rubbed some people the, the wrong way. Oh, you're being too aggressive with this or too aggressive with that. So in any event, the long knives came out. Morales was never Barrett's guy. The Fire and Police Commission was split when they hired him, and they were never they were never fully in his corner. There were lots of people in the Fire and Police Commission at the time who wanted somebody else. And then when you had the protests or riots or whatever you want to call it, you, you had some members of the Common Council who decided that they wanted to, instead of keeping the streets safe, it was more important for them to pander to some loud voices loud voices now a small number of loud voices but loud voices nonetheless in in the community uh, who who didn't like the fact that you know Mor- Morales was being aggressive and not letting people burn down the city okay yeah well, okay that that's great now I'm not saying Al Morales was a perfect chief he he, he wasn't and there were I, I think you can look at any urban police department and you can go back and you can second guess this decision or that decision but on balance I, I think he was really really good and I I think he did things despite uh, despite being hamstrung by the Fire and Police Commission. So we, we know then what happened. Fire and Police Commission, which has been dysfunctional for years, decides that, that they want to get rid of him. And everybody, including the city attorney, agrees that the way they did it denied him his due process rights. They demoted him, which would have cost him a ton of money. They didn't give him his due process rights. And, you know, we we were all talking about this at the time. And I think the members of the Fire and Police Commission at the time knew that what they were doing is illegal, and they didn't care. They thought they could do whatever they wanted, and so they, they, they demote him and then essentially force him out. All right, so... He, he doesn't go quietly. He files a lawsuit. He's he's won um, the lawsuit. I mean, the circuit court judge, Chris Foley, has said, look, it, he, he's, he's, he's entitled to his job back. You can't, you illegally fired him. So the remedy the law says is he has his job back. And we all agree that that's not a good option. I mean, look what's happened since he's lost his job. You've had one, now two interim police chiefs in, in place. You've had members of the command staff that, you know, have now been elevated that I don't think Al Morales would, would consider, you know, having these people as on, on his command staff. But now they're they're in there now. You have the Fire and Police Commission that illegally got rid of him in the first place. They don't want him back. The mayor's never supported him. At a time where you need the city unified and showing leadership, the, as great a police chief as I think Al Morales was, the, the, I think you're in a situation where it is, it's fundamentally unworkable because if he comes back, you know darn well that everybody in the Fire and Police Commission is going to be trying to do everything they possibly can to, to cut him off at, at the knees. And th- that's not what you need. The city needs to be unified. And unfortunately, that ship has sailed. But that doesn't mean he's not entitled to his job back. And as the, um, as the judge said, the disgraceful conduct, the disgraceful conduct by the Fire and Police Commission, I'm quoting now, has created complete uncertainty and total chaos in the community. I'm forcing the city to obey the law or buy their way out of this because of what they did, which is exactly the right decision. So, Morales holds the, the cards. He said, you know, he's entitled to, his, to go back to his job on July 3rd. That's what the order is. Now, that's not good for the city. I mean, that, you know, that, that the city is not able to move forward. 
uh, the city has an interim police chief who may be going out to Wauwatosa and bailing on the city. If if I were in management at the city of Milwaukee and I had a chance to go work in a suburban police department as a chief, I'd be taking that because who wants to deal with the dysfunction that exists and all the problems? So you've got Alfonso Morales, who is entitled to either a big check or alternatively his job back. And the city of Milwaukee, being the city of Milwaukee, doesn't want to write him a check. Okay, well, that that's fine. Then you got to give him his job back. It's just a complete and total mess, but it's brought about by the lack of leadership that starts with the mayor, goes through the Fire and Police Commission, and then spills over to the Common Council, which, again, helped undermine Morales from the beginning. So it, it's a mess. The fact that um, his attorney says, okay, I think everybody understands that, that Al Morales walking in as the police chief July 3rd is, is not, it's not a good situation. But again, it's something that's been brought out and brought about by the, the misconduct of, of the police, the fire and police commission and the lack of leadership. So I, I think it's a good thing that everybody's agreed to let, let's put this on hold till July 12th. What needs to happen? is the Common Council needs to make this go away. And, and and that means that Al Morales is going to get a big check written to him, but that's that's the only right thing to do. So if the city care, if the Common Council and the mayor and the city attorney's office and the Fire and Police Commission care about moving the city forward, it's pretty much going to former Chief Morales and saying, we're really sorry, we screwed this up badly, and you know, but we need you to go away, and, and here's a big check to make you do it. And that's... For people who object to that, the reality is that's what the city has bought for themselves. And if you care about trying to deal with crime, the city needs to move forward. It needs to be united. And as long as this Al Morales thing is hanging over its head, it's not going to happen. Morales is in the right, though. He's in the right. Just another example of the problems caused by the dysfunctional and completely, in many cases, incompetent leadership of the city of Milwaukee. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, I disagree. I do not think Al Morales should be paid off. He should be reinstated. And the mayor, the Common Council, and the Fire and Police Commission need to publicly apologize, support him going forward to clean up Milwaukee's recently rampant crime, and need to eat crow. Well, in a perfect world, maybe I understand that. But I'm, I'm just here to tell you, the, the, the mayor... The Common Council and the Fire and Police Commission, as in the real world, are not going to publicly apologize to Al Morales. They're not going to support him going forward. Now, in a perfect world, yeah, but but they shouldn't have undermined him in the first place. But it, I mean, here's just the reality. I mean, it's it, to try to put him back into that position creates an unworkable situation because again, the Fire and Police Commission doesn't want him there. They, they've illegally fired him in the first place. So if you think, you know, they can just kind of like all's well that ends well, good luck with that. You've got the Common Council, still many of the members of the Common Council that didn't like him because he was too tough on crime. That's not going to change. And you've got the mayor who never supported him. So plus now you've got, like I say, command staff, people that have been elevated that aren't the people that he would have chosen. It's just it's just a flat out mess. And, and I think I think moving forward, 
means that, well, you, you got to move on. And I think that's unfortunate, and I think it's fair to criticize all of those players for undermining Chief Morales in the first place. But at some point in time, it's it's like a bad marriage. You know, you, at some point in time, you know, you, you just got you to gotta move on. Never had a bad marriage, but that's what I am I am told. All right. Decision by the United States Supreme Court today, which is significant, not just for what they ruled, but what this means in the future. The state of Arizona passed a couple, quote unquote, restrictions on on voting. Now, these were things that started to be done because of covid. And then the legislature stepped in and said, no, we we don't think these are the right things. And there were lawsuits that were brought saying, oh, my gosh, you know, this is this is just this terrible effort to to suppress votes in the minority community, et cetera, et cetera. And the Supreme Court today, by a vote of six to three along ideological lines, rejected the challenge and upheld the voting laws that the Arizona legislature put in place. There's really um, two in particular. Um, First, the law in Arizona requires election officials to throw out ballots that were cast at the wrong precinct. So if you vote in the wrong place, the law in Arizona says that the ballots get thrown out. Okay, well, to me, I guess that that makes sense. That's why you're supposed to vote at the right place. Secondly, and this is the one that might be instructive for Wisconsin, the other law that they passed in Arizona makes it a crime for campaign workers, community activists, and most other people to collect ballots for delivery to polling places. This is this is ballot harvesting where you, you know, have like a, an activist or something who, who goes around and assembles a, a bunch of, of ballots and then brings them back, as opposed to the voter themselves returning the ballot. And it's one of the, I think, techniques which is most open to the most open to fraud. It's called, they call it ballot harvesting. There's a question. I think it's illegal in the state of Wisconsin, even though we, we've we've allowed it to happen in the past. Arizona has an exception. The law says family members, caregivers, and election officials. So, for example, if your your mom and dad are are physically unable to to go to the polls, well, what you can do is you can take your mom and dad's ballot and you can turn them in. There's no problem with family members, but this is really designed for these big operations where you have the paid political activists who who go around and solicit and collect ballots. I have no problem with this law, and the Supreme Court says they have no problem with this law. Okay, when we come back, so you want to buy a car? And let's go where angels fear to tread. I've been wanting to talk about Ron Johnson for a couple days. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, we did not get a chance to speak yesterday because um, there, there was a Brewers baseball game, and I only had a half-hour show, and it was before you, you came on. But I... I I, I mentioned this yesterday, but it, it's worth revisiting because it's still one of the most mind-boggling stories of, of the week. And I, I understand there's people might have heard me talk about it for 10 minutes yesterday, but we have people that come in and out all the different occasions. So for people who didn't hear it, it's the way I, I always led into this was think of the worst decision that you have made in your life. Just don't don't tell me, but just just think of what, what that, that bad decision is, okay? And then... You know, whatever that worst decision is, if you feel bad about it, I can probably make you feel better because 
There's the story of Major League Baseball's Trevor Bauer. Have you been following this story? I have not. Okay, so Trevor Bauer is one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball currently. He currently pitches for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's 30 years old. He signed a $102 million contract this spring, three-year deal. Okay, But before that, he won the Cy Young Award with Cincinnati, and then he won the uh, Cy Young Award with Cleveland. So he's 30 years old. He's, he's one of the best pitchers in, in, in baseball. What he is now subject of a criminal investigation and a restraining order that is put in, into place. Th- this, is, this is his agent explaining his version of the offense. Uh, of, of the incident. So this isn't, this isn't the woman. This isn't her lawyer. This is his agent. So this is the, the people around Bauer putting the best spin on this story possibly. Apparently this spring, see Bauer plays for Los Angeles, lives in Pasadena. Um, did I mention he signed a $102 million contract in, in spring? Apparently what happened was he met a woman last spring over Instagram. Okay, so they, they did not know each other. This is, they, they they met on Instagram. And apparently, PG-13 warning, they then start exchanging messages where um, she says that she's interested in having sexual relations with him and she likes rough sexual relations. <laughs> and and he apparently responded. There's all these emails going back. Now this is this is his agent explaining this. This so this is his version. They met on the internet. They started corresponding, talking about how they liked rough sex. Okay, this is all right. He then she lives in San Diego. He lives in Pasadena. He says, "Come on over." Gives this woman who he has never met except via the internet. Gives her tells her how to get to his house. She comes up to his house, drives up to the house, where they apparently do engage in this stuff, punching, choking, etc. Did I mention this guy signed a $102 million contract? Okay, so they, they do it once. This is like in April and May. So they, they have this, this rendezvous. She goes back home. They continue to exchange messages. And this, this is his version of the thing through his agent. Well, she comes back. He invites her back over. So she comes back up, drives up, where they do the same thing again. <laughs> All right. It's the person you've just met over the Internet. So she drives home and then now she's gone to authorities and said, hey, he beat me up. He, you know, he he assaulted me, all these types of things. His defense is, well, yes, we we did all this stuff, but it was consensual and she wanted me to do it, et cetera, et cetera. And now Major League Baseball is looking at it that you're just sitting there shaking your head. (laughs) Well, it doesn't sound like a very... Wise decision on I, on multiple levels. Well, I, th- that's see, that's that is what just strikes me in the the, the, the scheme of bad decisions. You know, I mean, it's you, okay. You're this this highly paid professional athlete. Okay, how do you think this is going to turn out? You you meet. It's it's not even like somebody has introduced you. You meet somebody on the internet, for God's sake, who then you know expresses this sort of stuff. And instead of just simply hitting the delete button, you engage in this and and bring her over to your house, where 
you know, it's like, what could possibly go wrong with this sort of situation? If you're a pro ball player, do you need to do that with, a, you know, like a I, random person? Well, that's, that well, that's, that's it. Don't, don't, don't you see, I'm with, don't, don't you have, hang, if you have these tendencies Urges or interest or, what, or whatever, what, yeah. don't you think you have, and you're, and you're making, did I mention he's signed a $102 million contract? You, you would think that you would have enough money that you would have one of these handlers that could go out and, I don't know, find somebody who might be willing to, you know, indulge these particular things if you want to do it, as opposed to finding some stranger on the Internet that you then bring over to your house. It's, you know, your our, our friend and colleague, John McCure, you know, when, when he worked, you know, did investigative stuff for TMJ4, he would on occasion go along. It's these stories like you see with the... Um, where, where you have like the child predator stings where the law enforcement will will go on the internet and they'll pose as a 14 year old boy or a 14 year old girl and, and you'll have some school superintendent that responds to these ads and then drives up to to a motel room and and you just and then it turns out it's not a 14 year old boy or girl it's it's the cops and you just always wonder Melissa what what are these people well you know what they're thinking I guess but is there like no risk reward thing how do you think this is going to turn out I am very calculated with decisions I make for the most part. I think about them before I do them. Do you uh, not, do you, do you, do you, do you just not, like right, go right, right, and, is, right? Is there not this stop sign that says, what's going to happen if I do do this or, ooh. right, right. Well, well, right. Like in the case of like these child predators. All right. I, oh. You're thinking, Oh, I'm, I'm going to meet a 14 year old. What, how is this going to turn out? And, but then, then surprise follows surprise. It's, it's the cops and the TV cameras that are there. This to me is kind of the same thing. It's like, Okay, maybe in some weird sort of world there, there's this appeal to, but what what could go possibly go wrong? <laughs> you know, by, by right? I mean, it's like, did you ever see the movie Fatal Attraction? Yeah, uh, yes. I mean, uh, and again, that, that's from the male perspective, but but it, it's it could equally apply to females. I mean, it, it, you know, Fatal Attraction and the, the Clint Eastwood movie Play Misty sh- for me should be like required viewing for people before they they think about doing these things because it shows. How, how this stuff can really break bad. I, just every once in a while, there's these stories that just, again, for, for every bad decision you make in your life, I mean, you're not Trevor Bauer, like inviting, you know, somebody over on the Internet. Well, I guess that's why it keeps our job interesting, Jeff. We, <laughs> we never have a lack of content or things to talk about when there are people that because make bad there decisions. Are, <laughs> right. Well, right. But there's there's like bad decisions. And then there's the Hall of Fame of bad decisions. <laughs> this and would go into that category. This goes into that category. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it, it's kind Cringe-worthy. of like, yeah. well, it it is. So um, that's the world of bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay. When we come back, let's talk about Ron Johnson. Stick around. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, let me go where angels fear to tread here. Um, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson has been on this program many times over the course of the last 10 years. I like Ron Johnson personally. I, I do not understand some of the decisions that the senator makes. To me, they're 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 counterproductive, and, and I don't understand. And and one of those decisions was a press conference that Senator Johnson had on on Monday, highlighting a handful of people who either had or knew people close to them who had had adverse reactions to the vaccine um, that's given for for COVID. And yeah, I guess I. 
he's Johnson has gotten a ton of criticism for this nationally and locally, and and some of it is uh, again because people are you know he, he's 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 vulnerable, he's perceived as being vulnerable, he's up for re-election you know a year from now, and 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 so I I think some of it you have to some of the criticism he gets you have to again take with a grain of salt and understand where it's coming from. That being said. I swear, I do not understand what the purpose of the, this press conference that he held Monday. I mean, here, here's the bottom line. If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's, that's fine. That's a decision that, that you make for whatever reasons. But, but here's, here's the deal. Right now, about 320 million people have been vaccinated. 320 million people. Of that, the CDC has been able to trace a little bit less than 5,500 deaths related to the vaccine. That's out of 320 million vaccines. So that that comes down to 0.0017%. In other words, it, it is statistically almost non-existent. Now, that's not to say... That, that, you know, that there haven't been people who've ad, had adverse reactions, not leading to death. But the bottom line is that's, that's, that is not where the numbers are. And for most people, if you get the vaccine, you are, maybe you're going to have, maybe you'll feel like you've got the flu, maybe you have a temperature, maybe you don't feel good for a day. But for most people, it's not going to have any long-term effects. And, and yes, there are a statistically extremely insignificant number of people who've had reactions. And if you're one of those people, I, I get it. It's not insignificant. But but still, th- there's no overwhelming evidence suggesting that these vaccines are dangerous. Now, I understand that there's some of you out there who are choosing not to get vaccinated because you, you don't believe it's been tested enough. You you have concerns about, you know, long term, is there going to be something that's going to come forward three years from now and everybody that's been vaccinated is going to end up dying, things like that. Okay, so I, I, I get it. This isn't something that's intended to encourage people to, okay, get, you know, to get vaccinated or not. But for the life of me, and I say this again, having a press conference where you highlight the statistically small number of people who've had an adverse reaction, I do not understand what the point of it is. And, of course, Senator Johnson, you know, he ends up saying, well, this isn't, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to discourage people from getting vaccinations, but you are, you know, you, you, you are by highlighting again a handful of people who've had the adverse reaction to it. I mean, it, that, that's exactly what you're doing. And just like I have been regularly railing about, I don't know, some of the people who I think are on, on the other extreme that aren't trusting the vaccines that, that work and are still thinking, oh, we, we need to walk around in hazmat suits because, you know, we can't trust that the vaccines work to highlight Again, the the extremely small number of people who've had these adverse reactions. What what is the purpose of doing that, other than to try to discourage people who haven't been vaccinated yet from getting vaccinated? And is is that really a responsible position? And my answer would be no. Plus, from a political perspective, I don't see where the gain in this is. I going down this particular rabbit hole whether you're pro-vaccination or anti-vaccination or just don't know, going down this particular rabbit hole seems to me to be a ultimate political loser because 
There's people on the right who are getting vaccinated. There's people on the left who are getting vaccinated. And there's people on the, in the middle who are getting vaccinated. Okay, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I try to avoid piling on when Senator Johnson does some stuff that is kind of like head-scratching. But this press conference, again, highlighting a couple people who had adverse reactions to the vaccine – I do not understand the purpose of it unless it is to discourage people from getting the vaccine. And is that really, you know, is that really what we want to do? Because the truth is, the majority of people getting vaccinated is the reason that COVID cases have 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 stopped dramatically. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I think it's political. He's playing to one person, Donald J. Trump. Why? I don't know. But he's definitely trying to own the liberals and the media. But I think he's failing in my opinion. Jeff, I think what he did was great. I will not get vaccinated. I like the fact that he went out there and explained the reactions that can happen. He speaks for all of us, not just the vaccinated. Um... Okay, um, let's see. Jeff, Ron Johnson seems to be tossing his hat in a ring for a job at Trump.org. Um, okay, 855-616-1620. Jeff, the senator needs to stay in his lane. People don't want politicians to help them with their personal help, uh, health decisions. Okay, uh, Jeff. Um, a lot of data and facts about the virus have been suppressed by the mainstream media and social media. It's not extreme to want to have an actual open discussion about the risk. There was once a time when you had freedom of speech. Well, this isn't about whether you have the right to do it or not. The question is, what, what is the, what is the point and what are you trying to accomplish? Now, if Senator Johnson is really trying to discourage people from getting vaccinated, well, then he should admit it and come out and just say it. I, I you know, I understand he said that he doesn't, he's not getting himself but to highlight, again, a statistically insignificant number of adverse reactions, it's kind of like holding a press conference saying, I don't care what everybody says, I don't think you should wear seatbelts because I know somebody who knows somebody who had a cousin who knew a girl who was involved in an automobile accident, and if she'd been wearing the seatbelt, she would have died. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Patty in Milwaukee. Hi, Patty. Hi, Jeff. Hey, um, I actually agree with uh, Ron Johnson's platform. I don't think that he's trying to discourage people from getting vaccines. I think that he's just trying to um, start the conversation that there can be some uh, unexpected consequences from the vaccine. Now, in my case, I... Okay, but let me me stop you there. What's... if, If you're not trying to discourage people from getting the vaccine... Why are you telling people, well, you get it and there might be some consequences? I mean, isn't that just by its nature discouraging people from getting the vaccine? I think that we're, I think most people are at a point where you either get the vaccine or not. I agree. And, I agree. And not, and not getting it is putting yourself as well as people you love and strangers you come in contact with at risk. So I, I think that. In my in my case, I that is why I chose the vaccine. Mm-hmm. However, um, 
I believe that, like myself, there's a lot of people who've experienced um, long-term consequences of the vaccine, and it's autoimmune aspects. It, it revs up your auto your immune mm-hmm. system, and that can cause autoimmune symptoms in many people, including myself. And we're not, you know, going on the radio trying to say, don't get the vaccine. Um, we're just saying that, um, hey, I got the vaccine. I'm having medical issues. And the, the medical establishment is, is ignoring us and saying, it's, oh, it's not because of the vaccine. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I have a symptom that my husband also has, and neither one of us had it before we got the vaccine. We both, uh, I got the first shot at about the same time he was getting his second shot. So we're wondering if maybe it's a bad batch or something. But bottom line is, I think there's a lot of people out there with symptoms from the vaccine. We're not saying don't get the vaccine. We're just making it aware, hey, um, Look, well, I guess, I, but Patty, I, I appreciate, but I, I think we're, we're kind of splitting hairs here. Now, somebody says, well, th- th- those numbers aren't insig- are, are you, you say they're insignificant unless you're one of the dead people. Well, well, sure, on an individual thing, but 320 million doses, and you have, you know, a, a few thousand deaths that are that are tied to that. And and look, I, I understand if you're one of the people that's directly affected, but if you look at the overall numbers of this it is a statistically insignificant thing especially when you compare it to the number of people who died because of covid that that's just the reality but look i don't care whether you get a vac- vaccinated or not i'm just wondering what the purpose is uh, of having again a, a press conference all right you're you want to highlight the risks of the vaccine okay so what what is the purpose of doing that if it's if it's not to discourage people from getting it, and I'm not saying they don't have free speech rights and things like that. It's just like where where are you coming from? Because unless you really agree with the notion that people shouldn't get vaccinated, that the risks are too great, and if that's the position you want to have, go with God. But then come out and say that that's your position. All right. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's afternoon news. Please stick around.